0: All right, excellent. Well, uh, today I have invited Pastor J.D. to come and share with us the word. Uh, pastor J.D., you may remember, uh, has recently been named our online campus pastor, and can I just give him some props? In just a short time, he has already addressed several things that have needed to be addressed in that environment and made our online church even better. Uh, there's more to come, but man, he is on it, and the team that he's working with is phenomenal, and so will you join me in welcoming Pastor J.D. to bring you- All right. Everybody good? Yeah, you say that now. You never know what I'm going to say. Why don't we all stand up in honor of reading God's word. And those of you that are watching online, this is sacred. The word's important. So just because you're watching at home, you can stand up too for these moments. Participate. And show God's word the honor it's due. We're going to start out in Luke 14, starting in verse 16. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I have to go see it, so please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. That one might be real, but anyways. (laughs) The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, then go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you right now, God, and we are honored that you choose us to participate in the work of spreading your gospel to the world. We are not worthy We don't have the right words to say. We don't know the right things to do. But by your Holy Spirit and by your guidance, we do those works so that others might come to know you. And Jesus, I pray that we do our job well. I pray these things in your name. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. You can all be seated. So there's a young man named Jimmy. Jimmy. And he decided at 17 that he was going to get serious about his business. And his business was the business of YouTube. He'd been at it for almost four years, off and on. He had about 8,700 subscribers. He mostly posted Let's Plays, which is where you play a video game, and then you have an online chat. We call this streaming video games today, like Twitch, Twitch. And if you don't know what Twitch is, look around the room, find somebody that's under 30, and they'll explain what Twitch is to you, okay? And he made videos that made fun of other YouTubers' intro videos. That was what he did. But he wanted more. So he started investigating, okay, how do I get popular on this platform? What do I do that makes people interested in what I'm trying to share? And what he learned is there was this secret mathematical formula that ran everything behind YouTube. The algorithm. And so he began to study the algorithm. What did it take to get popular? What do people like? What are people interested in? And so he learned that he needed to make content that focused on doing things that people had never done before. And keywords were really important, keywords like 24 hours or challenge, and he put those in big, bold print on his title page, and the thumbnails would be bright and colorful so that it would draw in people's attention. And he made sure to keep his videos right around 20 minutes because he knew that that was about the average of what a viewer would take in. And one thing that he always did was he was really intentional about explaining what he was going to do in the video in the first 30 seconds so that you understood the premise of what was going to happen, but he always drew your attention to, but make sure you stay tuned to the finale because something awesome's going to happen. His first viral video that he made was when he counted to 100,000. The filming took him over 40 hours. He compressed the video to get it down to 24 hours for your viewing pleasure. That video has well over a billion views on it today. He then started doing giveaways and contests, like the time he opened a fake burger restaurant where he gave away burgers to the people that drove through just to see if he could do it. And when he ran out of burgers, he started handing out money. There was another time where he gave away a house to the person who could decorate it the best with Christmas tree lights. And Then had all kinds of games and things that took you through that 20 minutes just so it'd be interesting. Perhaps his most famous video is where he created a live action squid game and gave away a half a million dollars. Now you're probably wondering why in the world are we talking about Jimmy? But if you look around the room at the young people in the room, they all know who Jimmy Donaldson is. Who is he? He's Mr. Beast. You see, Jimmy figured out something that many influencers have been trying to figure out for years. He figured out the algorithm. He figured out the secret formula that convinces you, the consumer, to be interested in the content that he's creating, and so therefore you tune in. And then they follow. Sounds like this other guy that I know, that you know. And so we're going to talk about Jesus today because that's what he did as well. And we're going to look at the tips and tricks that he gave us with the way that he performed ministry that would help create followers. So, let's look at John 4, verse 6. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now, we all know this story. We all know that he's about to have an encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he's going to change her life forever. But here's the thing that I want to draw your attention to. He had to go through Samaria. Not he wanted to go or he was interested in going. You see, what Jesus wanted to share with us in this first tip is that we need to reach the unreachable no matter how uncomfortable it makes us. i got a map for you. The preferred route to get to Galilee from Jerusalem was to go up the Jordan River and completely circumvent Samaria. That seems like a lot of wasted time, right? Why do they do that? If you're not familiar with the story and the history behind how Samaria became the land that it is, when the Israelites were captured back in Daniel and sent over to Babylon, one of the, the plots that the Babylonians would use, especially King Nebuchadnezzar, is he would send back the old and the extremely young, but he would also mix that with some of his people that were actually from Babylon. And then they as they grew up, they begin to intermarry, right? So they're not fully Jewish anymore and it messed with their culture, and it messed with their religion. And so they would do this. This was Nebuchadnezzar's plan to one day rule the whole entire world by just influencing it with culture and population. But what he did, as the Israelites came home, he created this half-breed that took residence right in the middle of Israel at Samaria. And as such, pure-blooded Jews, they didn't want anything to do with them. And so they wouldn't even talk to them. They wouldn't allow them to even come to Jerusalem to worship. They would push them out in every way possible. And they would avoid them at all cost. Now, Jesus is a full-blooded Jew. He had no reason to be in Samaria. But what did the Bible say? He had to. He had to go there because he knew that he was going to have this encounter that was going to not only change this woman's life forever, but it also says, if you continue reading here that she goes out and she tells everybody in Samaria. And this guy with one, it's not even a miracle. He just tells her about herself. He impacts an entire city state within a country with like 15 words? I'm not even sure how many words he uses. The guy is a master, and it's because he was willing to go and reach someone who everyone else said was completely unreachable. And he'll do it time and time and time again. He'll go and talk to lepers all the time. Do you know how many people talked to lepers back in that day? Like six people that were bringing them food and then running away really fast. Lepers literally had to walk down the street yelling, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, don't get near me, I'm unclean. Can you imagine that? But Jesus, he's cool with it. Why? Because he believed in what the Father could do through him, to them. And so he reached out and he touched them, and so many were cleansed, so many were healed, so many people that were unreachable. Jesus went out and he reached, because that's the kind of God that he is. So, He recognized that by reaching the unreachable that it would be messy and it would make him uncomfortable and he recognized that it would challenge traditions and and things that we thought are requirements or, or they thought were requirements back in the day. But here's the thing with Jesus. There are no requirements. I really hope that we get that point today that There is no, you must first do X before you are allowed to learn about Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to ask questions about Jesus. To get to know Jesus and to begin to have relationship with him, there is zero requirement on your part except that you say, hey, I want to know more about Jesus. That's it. So you don't need to come in here and have your life figured out. You don't need to come in here and be saved. You don't need to come in here and not have any sin in your life anymore and be completely holy and spotless. Jesus never, ever, ever set that up as a requirement. And he didn't do that for people that are online. He didn't do that for those of us that are here in the house today. His requirement was just come follow me, right? You guys have heard me say this before. You've heard Pastor Tim say this before. Come follow me. He said that to fishermen, to mercenaries, to tax collectors, to prostitutes, to sinners. Come follow me. It's all he ever asked. There was no upfront expectation. So, if Jesus was willing to get uncomfortable to reach those that were unreachable, how willing are you to do that? Does that thing make you uncomfortable? Do these things make you uncomfortable? Does that apparatus make you uncomfortable? I hope not, because you're in a Pentecostal church. We're going to hit it. Sometimes we have to get a little messy. Is it going to lead to some interesting conversations? You bet. Consuela and I have interesting conversations with people all the time. It's part of it. It can get messy. But you know what? It's worth it. And it's worth it if only one person decides they want to follow Jesus. All of it's worth it. Let's look at Matthew 19. Oh, I'm sorry. I think there was a slide before that, wasn't there? Yeah. Tip number two let's recognize the changing times and generations. Now, we're going to read a good bit of scripture. I hope you're all okay with that. I love the word. So let's go to Matthew 19. Let's read away. Then people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. Yeah, of course you have. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then you can come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, what then can, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Can I get an amen on that one? Peter answered him, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Man, Peter, you're such a dunder. Like, why do you do stuff? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the first will be the last, and many who are the last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others who were standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. And he said to them, then you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. So the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and they each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. There is so much stuff jammed into this. J.D., why? Why so much Bible? It hurts. Jesus was a master of being inclusive while keeping his message intact. If I have anything I say today that is tweetable, that is the one. His choice to use parables as a teaching method is one of the most brilliant things ever because what he did is he took something that was relatable. All of these guys knew what it meant to work the field. They knew what a denarius was. They were totally understanding of the wage that would be paid. They got the concept, but they also saw how unfair people would think that it is, and he tried to portray a kingdom concept to them by using a story. He never cared about people's class or their race or their socioeconomic status, that was a bad one, or gender. He loved everybody in every circumstance, even those who were deemed unlovable, like we just talked about, right? He healed children. He attended the wedding of a young couple. He had conversations with people that were his own age. He made time for elders in society to ask him questions. This guy knew that every generation mattered and he wanted to give them as much time as he could. Whether we agree or disagree about whether someone should attend a physical church in order to be considered a member is a discussion for a totally different time. What I can say for certain is that millennials and Gen Z have a preferred method of consumption of information. It's the Internet. All the young people said amen. Good. Good try. It was close. If they want to know something... They Google it. They want to share something relevant, Insta, TikTok, Twitter, X, whatever that is. And I'll be honest with you. We made concessions as a church body years ago that we were going to reach out to the younger generation by starting to post on this new, interesting idea on the internet called Facebook. Guess what? Kids don't like Facebook at all. They don't use it at all. 30 and up, that's about where Facebook stops. Some 30-year-olds don't like it either. We also have to remember that each generation, church is different for them. Nobody can get offended at the next paragraph. We all good? All right. Boomers and Gen Xers are happy to believe things that were taught in church and had less of a questioning attitude towards the things of God. Younger Gen Xers and Millennials began to question everything. And it caused many to turn away because they never got the answers they were looking for because we weren't prepared to have the conversation. I'd argue that we should have gotten better at making disciples and building relationship rather than sheep in the 90s and the 2000s. Today, Gen Z is also asking those questions of faith, but I really feel like we've made a concerted effort to get better at having those difficult conversations with Gen Z. But Gen Z is so far removed, check this out, they're so far removed from an idea of a Christian nation or a general understanding of the Bible that we have to take a a new but really old approach. We just need to love people unconditionally. If we build relationships unconditionally with people and then let Christ, the great gardener, come in and prune away the things that aren't necessary in their lives instead of us trying to do it ourselves, man, that's... That's how we win people to Christ. Not me doing the pruning. That's not my role. I read that all throughout scripture. My role is to love people and to make space for people just like Jesus did. And then once I've introduced them to him, that relationship that they have with Jesus, that's what will begin the pruning process. My role is to just make space and then compel them to follow me as I follow him. And that's it. There's a lot in there. Next slide. Use the technology that's available to reach the lost. Let's look at Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. There is this concept called the lakeshore effect. You guys ever heard of this? Essentially what happens is, is if the lake begins to slope up, and none greater than when we used to go out to Carl's house, who had this exact effect at his house, which was fantastic out at Heritage Lake. As the shore begins to slope up, those that are out near the shoreline, as they speak, the water and the wind actually captures your voice and begins to project it up and out so that you can speak to hundreds of people, without having to get really, really loud with your voice. It was a common technology that they would use. And especially at the Sea of Galilee, this was really prevalent. So Jesus would go out on a boat, and he could speak to hundreds, even thousands, without having to raise his voice hardly at all. And it would project. Let's look at another example of this, Matthew 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, when you read this, you're like, oh, disciples, so 12 dudes. Nah, it wasn't 12 dudes. More like 5,000 dudes. And then their dudettes and their dudelings. Like many people came. Okay, well, that was a lot of dude, wasn't it? (laughs) Many people came to listen to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. That's where Matthew 5 is. So what Jesus did is when he went to the Mount, he actually stood at the base of the mountain, and then had the people sit on the hills and the mountainside beside him. And just like an amphitheater, you guys have seen those before, right? In the old Roman drawings. He would stand at the base and then his voice would echo up throughout the mountains. Which would then project what he was doing. What was he do- Why, was he- Why did he do that? Because he knew he had to speak to 5,000 people and he wanted to reach the people in the back. Because what he was saying was important. And so he used the technology of the day, the things that had been taught, so that he could reach the lost with the most effectiveness. How many of you, do you guys know how long Jesus was here on earth in preaching? What, how many years? About three is what we think, okay? Was about, th- about three years he was actually in ministry. Do you guys know how quickly three years can go by? Really, really fast. And so he had to maximize his output as quickly as possible. And not only that, he had to develop followers and get a following like he did. And so then once he had that following, now he used the technology of the day to begin to speak to others. So where you might see a camera, I see an opportunity for somebody to be the eyes for the body, for someone who just can't attend in person or they're just checking us out. Where you see somebody typing on a computer, thank you, know. I see a prayer warrior, I see a door greeter, I see an usher, all wrapped up into one body because they're able to serve those online that can't get here. We gather together in this house to do these services so that we can grow and become the body of Christ, right? That's what we're here for. There are some who cannot gather. There are some who physically have ailments that won't allow them to come. There are others who are states away who have been unable to find the gospel message in their lives. And if we have the opportunity to be that for them by increasing our online presence and doing the things that we've done, man, I, I think Jesus sits up top and says, I'm for that. That's, that's it. That's the work of the ministry. I want them to have a full experience as much as possible of what you experience every day here in this house. The sermon is about you people out in online world. So, what's your part? The nice thing about not having a sermon bumper is it goes really fast, right? Like, isn't that awesome? You will get to food faster. You will love me more because I had no sermon bumper. God bless this church. All right. What do you do? First thing you can do is you can share the stream. Your circle of influence is your ministry. Did you know that you know people that I don't know? Did you know that I know people that you don't know? That's called my circle of influence. Your circle of influence is your ministry field. So, including those people who are with you on Facebook as friends, but you don't ever really speak to them, how many of you know that those Friends that you have on Facebook that you never talk to, every time you post a picture of a really good steak, they look at your steak. Even though you don't talk and you haven't talked since like, you know, 11th grade or something in high school, but your friends, they check out the things that you post because we all do that. We are all lurkers at some point in our lives. (laughs) It's so true. Share the stream. Because what takes you mere seconds may be the thing that one day they're at their lowest point, this friend that you hardly ever talk to, and they may click on the stream that you've shared, and they may hear Pastor Tim give the words of life in our new Heaven Come Down series that's coming up here in just a couple weeks, and they may decide to make a decision for Christ. All because you shared a stream, which takes... 11 seconds if you're not technology savvy. Most people less. It really has very little expectation attached to it. But the potential is huge. I want you to begin to incorporate this into your daily routine when you come here to the church. As much as you go to Journey Java and get your coffee, as much as you find Carolyn so that you can get your hug, you share the stream before it starts. And preferably, if you want to be an overachiever, don't share it until Pastor Tim starts preaching. Why? Because we find that most people only view the stream for 20 minutes on max. And while I love our worship team and I love what they do, people at home can get worship any way they want. But the words of life that are shared from behind this pulpit, that's the stuff I want them to hear. That's going to drive them to a deeper engagement of worship. So, I've learned so much about online culture, about the things, and hopefully some of this is coming across today to you guys about what I'm finding as as I'm studying. I'm new to all of this. Of the three of us, I may be like, not the most tech savvy, which is weird. I I usually am, but I'm probably not. But I've learned so much from study and from learning from others. And this is what I want to share with you guys to understand why this ministry is vital and why it matters. The next thing that you can do is you can serve on the team. Boy, you knew there was going to be a pitch for that, didn't you? Here's the thing. You say you're, I'm not an up in front of the camera kind of person. Great. I actually have positions that will let you hold the camera, then you have no chance of ever being on screen. I can make this a reality for you. And it's very simple. But again, the impact that you have and the way that you can touch people's lives just by doing so many simple things, such as Being in an online chat with someone when when someone posts and says, I need prayer, and being able to pull them aside really quickly and give them a prayer for right now in the moment. That's so powerful. As opposed to, and we do this in person, oh, I'll pray for you. Right? Man, Pray. if you get that opportunity, someone says, I need prayer, first of all, it takes a big step to ask somebody that. If somebody asks you for prayer, don't let the moment pass by with, I'll be praying. Man, give them a prayer in the moment. But online, we have that same opportunity for people. And here's the thing. Nobody, and I mean nobody, feels more powerful and is more willing to expose who they really are than when they're anonymous behind a keyboard. And so while we deal with some important hot-button issues in here, Sometimes it's hard to walk up here when you're looking at somebody face to face and say, hey, I'm addicted to pornography and I really have a struggle with that. But when I'm behind that keyboard, you don't know me. And I don't really know you. And I struggle with this. Please help. And so we may find that vulnerability is even easier for people online than it is for us here in the building. But again, we should share our sins with our brothers. Oh, that's in the book too. Now, The last point. Then I'm done. Man, speed. Views generate views. What in the world do I mean by that? In 2004, a phrase was used for the first time to describe a great online video. That phrase was going viral. Since then, content creators have worked diligently to create their brands, their videos, and their followings be it live streaming video games or posting five to ten TikToks a day or even vlogging every single thing that they do in a day. Man, those are hard to watch sometimes. It's become its own medium. So I challenge you that instead of watching another 15 videos about cats that don't like cucumbers or a life hack video about how you can soak up grease with a paper towel attached to it rather than dumping it down the drain, Go to YouTube on this Wednesday and re-watch this sermon. And then do it again for the entire month of December. Why? One, you will probably hear something that you didn't hear on Sunday that may impact you in a deeper and more meaningful way. So you're going to get something out of it for yourself. But two, and infinitely more important, you will increase the view count on our sermons. Why is that important? Because of the algorithm that we talked about at the beginning. It is what decides what videos YouTube promotes based on what appears to be trending or popular. That algorithm is why you can be watching a video about the creation of Disney World and the greatest Imagineers ever, and then randomly get a video about the largest swordfish ever caught off the coast of Florida, which hooks you for 20 minutes while this guy tries to reel it in, has you know the giant pole attached to a belt, and is reeling and reeling and reeling, and nothing is actually happening, and you're just watching mesmerized as eventually this giant swordfish comes up into the boat. True story. Got me the other day. Why do your views matter? Because typically we average 25 to 35 views on our sermons on YouTube per week. But if we were to see a sudden surge in views and subscriptions, it would change our place in the algorithm, team, which may then make us the video that pops up when people search for questions about Jesus or for an online church. Another huge piece of the algorithm, especially on YouTube and Facebook, are likes and comments. Your likes and comments show that not only are you enjoying what you're consuming, but also that you care enough to join the conversation about it. A quick comment and a like on our content tells the algorithms that our videos are generating interest and are buzzworthy. These are keywords that are important. So here's the challenge. You don't have to rewatch this one, because I don't know if I've said anything important. But over the next month, Every single Wednesday. Even if, and hear this, don't do this, but hear it. Even if you don't watch it, click on it on YouTube. You can find us, the Journey Church in Avon, Indiana. It'll pop up with us and our YouTube page. Click on it. Find the sermon from the previous Sunday, usually posted, you know, by Monday, Tuesday, but let's say Wednesday just to be safe. Click on it because I can't even begin to tell you what it will do for us as a body on online, in our online presence, to go from 25 views up to 100 to 125 views. It will be massive. And you may think, man, that doesn't sound like that much. That's how channels are born. The way that every single YouTuber gets started is they either do something wild and crazy, and we can't really do anything too wild and crazy. Jesus. Or they share the snot out of their first three or four videos with their family and their friends. And they're like, hey, watch this as many times as you possibly can from as many unique IPs as you can. Because I need views in order to get this channel up off the ground. We're the same. There are lost people out there that are hurting and need Jesus, and have questions. And I don't know about you, but I believe in this guy and the stuff that he says. And I think it's important enough in the work that he puts in and the study that he gives the Bible that we need to get his words of life out there on the Internet to people so that they can be impacted the same way that you come in here and you're impacted every single day. I'm gonna tell this story because I love it. Man goes on vacation. He's down in Florida. And there's a massive hurricane that happens the night he gets there. He checks into his hotel. He's like, Man, I really hope that this passes and everything's okay. And luckily it does. Everything's fine. No major damages, but it's crazy out there. He gets up the next morning and goes out to the beach. And as he walks out on the beach, he sees starfish just as far as the eye can see. They've been washed ashore during the hurricane, and they're all up on the beach. And they need the water to live, and so they're just dying. And there's thousands of them. They're everywhere. And so he's walking along the beach, and he's looking at all these starfish, and he's just shaking his head, and he's like, man, this is awful. Like, look at the chaos. And as he's walking along the beach, he eventually comes to a young man who's out there and he can't quite make out what the kid's doing, but he sees the kid running out to the beach and then running out a little bit into the ocean. And so he keeps walking, getting closer and he finally realizes what the young man's doing. The young man's going out there and he's grabbing a starfish off the, off the beach. And then he's running out to the ocean. And he's throwing it out in the ocean as far as he can. And as the old man gets closer, he sees, man, this kid is sweating. He's working. He's doing everything that he can. But, I mean, he's just got a small little circle of starfish that he's been able to save. And the old man gets up next to the young man. He's like, son, son, son. He grabs him by the shoulder. Hey, what, what you're doing is noble. But, I mean, I mean, look around. There's no way you can save them all. Like, they're going to die. And the kid looks down at the starfish that he's holding in his hand. And he throws it out in the ocean as far as he can. And he looks at the man and says, but I just saved that one. We're not going to save them all. But man, what if we save that one? And then what if that person is in a totally different state from where we are? Which means they have a totally different circle of influence than you do or I do. And then they share what we're doing. And then that impacts two more people in their circle who have a totally different circle from that person's circle. Do you see how it can compound on itself? I would love it if you would join us and be an influencer yourself and join our team. But even if that's not for you, you can still be impactful, not only to this ministry but to the world by simply watching, subscribing, liking, and commenting. Pastor Noel, can you come on up? Worship team. You know, when Pastor Tim and I met to start talking about this ministry, I was really nervous. I don't